<clears throat> so we are in a process of we're going to we are focusing right now on what we need to understand if we are going to be effective witnesses. Mm. Effective witnesses. We are going to understand the working of the two Gospels. The two so-called Christian Gospels that exist in the earth. The reality is that the other side is winning. It has been winning for many years. Their product is very popular. Their marketing strategy, very simple. So the true gospel and the true witnesses of Messiah, we have hardly even been competing. As a matter of fact, from the enemy's perspective, it looks like we have lost. But we also know that the Bible says toward the end time, there will be a harvest. So we cannot just be satisfied with the revelation that we have received and we cannot just be satisfied with um, the growth and the wonderful blessing that we are walking in. We are satisfied, we are very grateful, but we know that we have to now find more and more ways and educate ourselves, equip ourselves to help others see that an understanding of the Bible that's not actually what the Bible says could be mortally dangerous. And so what we're focusing on right now with this group, now that you've finally been saved, is um, to help you see what the brain, the mind of the person out there works like what 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 are they working according to mm. we can't just go in there and blurt out the mysteries of the bible to them remember a mystery has to be revealed by god to the person mm -hmm. you can tell him you can tell it to them and they'll walk away and conform whatever you have said to what they understood before i mean we all know this from experience mm. Which is why it's taken many of us four years <laughs> to get here. Mm. So let's quickly talk about what we have learned about ourselves in this process. So this is how it works with most people. Whenever somebody is relaying verbally a new idea, a, something different from what a person has understood, mm. their mind will first try and conform what they're hearing to what they already know. Because the human being has a basic programming that says, I know best. <laughs> Go speak to any four-year-old. <laughs> if you want to really prove the point, Go speak to any 16-year-old. How can it be that they really think they know it all? Okay, now, even worse, 
go speak to even any 60-year-old that's not saved. They're now convinced they know it all. What is it? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Nobody has to define what we really know. We can actually change it. We can pick and choose. And that's the problem with humanity. Yeah. Okay. Now we are going to try and, and share with a person out of love and compassion, true concern for their life here and their eternal existence. We're going to try and uh, speak to them from the very substance of what the Word of God really says. And just about everything you're going to say is going to be strange, it's going to sound strange, and it's going to be unfamiliar and contradictory to what they have known. Why is that? We need to understand where we find ourselves in this world. Yeah. There's another spirit, the Antichrist spirit. The apostle says that even in their time, this spirit is already there. And doing well. And doing well. So through the Catholic age, through the Dark Ages, through the Renaissance, the Antichrist spirit has just been flourishing. All these ages of man have been very fruitful times for the Antichrist spirit. See, the real gospel says you have to die to yourself and lay yourself down. Now, this message is not going to ever be popular, right? Okay, so we know where we stand. Now, let's look a little bit at how, what we can and should understand to help break through to a person's consciousness. Okay, we cannot judge people and blame them. Okay, for trying to hold on to everything that they've ever heard in their lives. Well, that makes sense to them. Yes. We are, okay. to them, then. How many sensible people have you met in your life? You know anybody long enough you realize that they're not really making sense. And just because, the fact is that because everybody isn't making sense, everybody's quite comfortable with the fact that nothing makes sense. Hmm. Makes sense, right? Okay. <laughs> And this is where we sit. This is where, from the perspective we have where we are from where we're sitting. <coughs> is um, the world doesn't make sense. Politics doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. And so why would anybody expect the Bible to truly make sense? Okay. Now, we looked at it last week and this is where we start. This is, we, I'm going, we, we are trying to impress on you, <clears throat> we are trying to impress on you that this is literally the one thing that you always have to keep in mind. Without this basic understanding, if you, in any conversation, if you don't immediately remind yourself of the concept of the baseline, the timeline, then... You're going to miss that starting point, mm -hmm. beginning and end thing. Everybody here knows that this is the most difficult. This, the two most difficult parts of witnessing is knowing where to start and knowing when to end. <laughs> yes. Because here in the middle, it's, it normally goes quite well. 
Right, okay. Now, you want to maybe take over and just start us there and show us why and where we want to go with this. Mm. If we've done this before, don't think we've done it. We are literally layering this so that you can remember this every single time you talk to someone. You have to factor this into everything. Okay. So we understand what we're trying to push through is we understand that when we speak to people, when we witness to anyone, believer, non-believer, we are speaking to a mindset. <coughs> okay, a mindset. And the basic foundation of this mindset is that there was a beginning very long ago. Then in the future there will be the end. And somewhere in the middle is... The cross. Those are for those nations or groups of people that have a cross in their timeline. Yes. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the thing with this linear timeline and what we need to keep in mind is that with the linear timeline, it forces any person, no matter where they come from, no matter what they believe, to view the world around them from their perspective. And this was created because all we know is to view things from our perspective. That's all we understand. So that's what we know. I see things from here and so I'm going to interpret everything from here where I stand. Okay. And so, so the enemy obviously knows us really well. He understands that's the way we see things. So he is doing his best and he's doing really well with reinforcing this concept. But now the beginning, end, and for some, this middle part. <clears throat> you see, most people, we've spoken about value systems and principles. And we know that the principle of principles is beginning and end. Most people do not have this principle. And so they have a value system of believing in God or not believing in anything, but without the principle of beginning and end, it becomes only a value system of believing in God. And so most people would have believers, would have an idea of there was a beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but it's somewhat undefined and it doesn't really matter. There was a beginning. For Unbelievers, it's a bit more complicated because when was the beginning? What was the beginning? What does it look like? So that's completely scrambled and blurred up. Okay, mm -hmm. this leaves us with the two main groups on earth that have a somewhat undefined and blurry beginning. Okay, then if we look at the end, that too is undefined because for most people, let's face it, the end for us is just where our lives end or where our children's lives end. Maybe even our grandchildren, but that's kind of the end, right? So then some people, most people, many people have a consciousness of, okay, somewhere there's going to be a judgment day, those who believe in some kind of afterlife. But even that remains undefined and blurry because we don't want to look at what are we going to be judged according to, when will it be, how will it work, why will it be there? And so most people prefer to keep the end blurry. And undefined because the moment it's defined now it puts a responsibility on me where I am now to start living according to what's coming mm -hmm. right 
So let's keep that, keep ourselves ignorant of what's happening there. This doesn't really matter because it has no bearing on where I am here. And so this leaves us, or most believers, or even some unbelievers, with one focal point, and that is the cross. That's the one point on this timeline that we can make sense of, that's defined. And so because the end, especially, is still undefined, and because the world is reinforced and the enemy himself actually has reinforced the fact that the cross is the only point to focus on, the only point that actually matters, it becomes a double cross. Uh-huh. Because you see, if the end is not defined, if the end is not defined, if we do not understand where we're moving, then the purpose of the cross even in its greatness, even if it is just isolated, we know it's beautiful. But without having this within the formula, we lose the reason why the cross was there in the first place. For most Christians, they, all their focus will remain here because this is the closest point mm. on the timeline that we can focus on. And see, although intellectually most people will know it was 2,000 years ago, that doesn't really matter, because that's just a number. Mm. So what happens with believers and with most people's witness is all they have to do is try and drag the cross through time, because most people don't understand 2,000 years anyways. Mm. What is it? Okay? Most people don't have the capacity to even try and understand that concept. So you drag the cross closer and give them a focal point. Okay. And yes, the gospel is going to be that Yahushua, the Son of God, died on the cross for your mm. sins. And immediately there's another focal point that's even closer. My sins. Me. He died on the cross for me. And so the next step is my Jesus. And it's not wrong. It's just the way our brains work. Get a closer focal point. Something remember, that I can. This entire timeline was set up because our perspectives are from where we are. And so automatically our minds would start interpreting any information to get it as close as possible to where I am. If you encountered a person, uh, a schooled person, say he's a, uh, uh, a teacher in Zululand. And he believes in the philosophy of flat earth. There's still a lot of people that believe in that. Can you blame him? His world is flat. Unless he's going to fly around the globe, is that right? it doesn't really matter to him if it's round or not. Okay, if he wants to believe it's flat, it's true for him. <laughs> That's it. And this... Still, I can't believe that people are still debating that fact. And you know what? It doesn't have, even matter if they believe it's true long term. Because they're going to live, they're going to die. And it's really not going to make a difference to anything. Unless they want to go work for NASA. And it's going to matter. Anyway, so see, see how perspective really doesn't matter for most people until it... Until there's a, there's, there's a purpose that forces a perspective to take on meaning. Okay, now, problem with this is because the beginning is blurred, even for Christians. Christians will tell you, yes, I believe God created the heavens and the earth, 
Then he created a garden and he put man in it. And that's what I believe. So their concept of believing in the beginning, biblical beginning, is mostly founded on the fact that it is contrary to um, evolution or Big Bang or whatever. That's how they define a beginning. But the actual details of the beginning uh, for most Christians are also quite blurry. Most, most believers that has gone to church for 40 years will never understand what the serpent was. Or the tree of life. Or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We get that. So they have a beginning. Put A there. And in it. To speak to most most believers and the details regarding the kingdom of heaven is also quite fuzzy, blurry. Most of them are still debating whether there's a rapture or not. And then most believers somehow are walking around, because the Bible says that Yahushua will come back as a thief in the night. They're walking around thinking, I've got to be careful because he might just come at any moment. See, there's a contradiction that most people are walking around with in their minds, and they never identify the fact that they're believing two different things. They're believing there will be a persecution, there will be a tribulation, they see in the Bible that there will be a beast, etc., etc., and yet, at the same time, they're walking around thinking, I better behave myself because he might come back in a blink of an eye, and then I'm in trouble. Have you had this problem in your mind before? See how easily we... we it's blurry for us, most of us. We believe contradictory things. We believe several things at the same time. This is why the Bible is there. So that we can understand all of it. There's no contradictions in the Bible. And this is why we need to understand the mindsets of the people we're talking to. So that we can... Uh, we want to create just enough curiosity, just enough wanting a desire to know the truth. So that they will go, remember this, we're going to reinforce this over and over. They can go to the Bible and check things out. Okay, now remember that my Jesus and my cross scenario? Now this is what happened to people. Their Bible becomes their Bible. And that verse is my verse for the day. And all of religion is continuously reinforcing that mindset. <clears throat> right? So what happens? They publish these beautiful little daily devotionals. that is um, published and millions of copies is sold right over the world. But the moment you have taken it home, that daily devotional becomes God speaking to you specifically on that morning. All you have to do is open up on the date. And there's a one-pager. And this is what God is saying to you today. How the heck can we be so short-sighted? to be fooled into these kind of minds. And people are easily fooled. 
Now, I'm not saying that God cannot speak to you out of what is available, because we force Him to work with so little. Everybody recognize what I'm saying? Worse. Worse. Now somebody decides to send their word for the day out of their daily devotional to someone else as an encouragement. This person just received a prophetic word that in their mind is going to transform into God spoke to me about this thing today because I got it via WhatsApp. And this becomes something that we need to factor in. Why is this? Because this is vague. That is vague. The cross is a center point for uh, my faith. And now, out of never changing my perspective from where I am right now, we start trying to worship and serve God. Okay. Take us from there. Okay. So... Obviously, Satan, is, like I said, knows us really, really well. He knows the way our minds work. And we understand that, okay, so we've done principles. We know beginning and end is the principle of principles. And we know it is the principle of principles because God introduces himself as the beginning and the end. Now, I'm sure we can all work out the equation that if, if we look at a timeline where the beginning and the end is undefined and blurry, then we end up with a God that we can't understand. Right. So, <clears throat> the enemy knows, however, that we know that the Bible says he introduces himself as the beginning and the end. We know that the Son of God eternally is the beginning and the end. And so whilst God is trying to reveal himself as the beginning and the end with his will from the beginning to the end, the enemy, knowing that he cannot deny that fact, has now changed the unblurred timeline. So he's convinced humanity, and specifically the believing community of humanity, that the beginning is actually just the moment the baby is born. Because everything before that doesn't really matter. It's blurred. We can't understand it. The entire Old Testament wasn't even about us. The only thing that really starts mattering is the moment the baby is born. Ah, here's a focal point. Here, okay, it's clear. I can see it. I can understand it. Here he is. And then, so the entire Old Testament time was just us waiting for the baby to be born. Yeah, for God Isn't, to be. To that's what Christianity that thinks it is. So. It's like God said it's going to happen. Now we're waiting, and voila. Yeah. Okay. So the timeline actually now starts here. Then, kind of, kind of ends somewhere here, where he's crucified and resurrected and goes back up to heaven. And then we know stuff happens, but it doesn't really matter. And then. Boom, okay, my life. Now, it's defined again. And it's not just wrong, which is why it's so clever, so cunning. Because he is the son of God. He is God and he is man. He is the perfect man. But now, because we only start to focus the moment he's born as a man the opportunity now arises to fixate on a perfect man instead of being conformed to a perfect God. 
Makes sense. So now we fixate on a perfect man instead of being conformed to a perfect God who is eternally the beginning and the end. Right. So for believers, it's true that their belief, what they believe, their faith, everything they live according to is based on the cross. Because that's the point they can focus on. That's the point where the Lord is near so they can access him anytime they keep going back to the cross we've all come from a place where we continuously want to go back to the cross because that's that's where everything is centered on that's what everything is founded on that's the safe place so anything happens i just go back to the cross that's that's me that's my space that's where i move unbelievers however if they try to at all make any sense of the bible or try to figure out who god is or what he wants their natural place to go would be back to the beginning. It's a natural way of trying to discover things. And it's also not wrong even from God's perspective because in the beginning is when he's going to make his purpose and intent known. But again, it's been made blurry. So it doesn't have to be blurry. We know that everything makes sense. If we just look at it, it makes sense. It can be found. But we also know that people prefer everything to remain blurry. So what we're going to look at some more today is that whenever we speak to believers, unbelievers, anyone, anyone we witness to, and we know that we want to, we've started speaking about outside of time, moving their focus to outside of time, so away from the linear timeline. The best way to do that is to, in whatever conversation you have become a part of, is to move the person's focus to the end. Because once the end has been defined, now everything that comes before has purpose and reason and a place where it fits and why it happened. So now, if we understand what's going to happen in the end, then we understand why God created in the first place. What he created, how he created, what he created out of, what the purpose was. Makes sense. So for the unbeliever, now the beginning, and this is in context to all the unknown factors. So Big Bang, evolution, dinosaurs, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. All those details become... Um, non-issues if when you are having a conversation with uh, someone that uh, uh, they might have been looking at the bible let's call them just an uninformed Mm. unbeliever right now they always going to try and take you here and why it's a natural thing for the human brain to do we're all wondering where it all began why it began because if we can Try and figure out the beginning, we can try and figure out the purpose. Right. It's like somebody with amnesia waking up somewhere, uh, born identity. First question is, first question is, who am I? How did I get here? This is our questions we're asking. How did I get here? Right? And why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? How did I get here? And that's why humanity will start to search for answers, answers there. The problem is that if, when you're speaking to an uninformed, unsaved uh, person, they're going to try and take you here. 
What is the most um, what is the most likely place in our history where we will have the least information? The furthest point from where we are now. The further back we go, the more undefined it gets. Okay, so there's confusion and misinformation in between because historians manipulated history. But we can deal with that because at least there's a whole lot of information for us to work with. Right. No matter where you go in the world, all ancient civilizations had to come up with some origin theory. People are quite happy with the Chinese Orient or the Eastern um, origin theories. doesn't make any sense. People are more happy with that. This one, the biblical one, poses questions like, well, where did Adam and uh, where did um, Cain and Abel find wives? Seems like a big question, but if you allow an unbeliever to take you there, then you're going into the realm of least information. Okay. That's why Christianity fixates on this beginning. Easier. And so they're all going to witness from this beginning. Okay? This is a closer point and we can deal with it better. Effective witnessing is you want to lead them away from a basic Greco-Roman platform that everybody have in their thinking. It's a beginning and an end. It's just a natural way we frame our world and take them to the end. Then we'll see what we do next. You can take us there. Okay. So, let's look at the parts of the end that we're going to take everything back from. So, we know that in time, this earth will finish, will be no more. Then, everyone will be woken up. We will all appear in front of the judgment seat and there will be two groups. And... It says that the book of life will be opened and then other books will be opened. And those whose names have been written in the book of life from before the foundations of the earth, they will be judged or their books and their names are in the book of life. And then all the rest whose names aren't in the book of life, they have their own books. They will be judged according to their works that's been written in those books. And so immediately there's a focal point. There's a purpose. There's something to focus on. So whenever you speak to any person, again, uninformed, unbeliever, unbeliever for now, believer, anyone. The moment we take any person's attention to there, and like I said in the beginning, most people, for because of our perspective, the future kind of ends where we end, or maybe our children end. And... If a person, if a person's name is written in the book of life, if they have some kind of consciousness and awareness of something that's going to happen afterwards, you will figure this out fairly quickly, like in the first few minutes of speaking to them. If you take a person's focus to after the end of the earth, outside of time, 
when time has ceased, when the earth has ended, and you take their attention to there will be a judgment. What are we going to be judged according to? When will it be? What will it look like? Then a person who knows that they have to be there, knows that their name has to be in the book of life, they will have a consciousness of, oh, well, I, I want to know. It's important to me to know what happens beyond the end of this realm, the end of what I know here. So they'll be intrigued. Someone who's just going to focus on their lives, and I'm not saying this isn't concrete, this isn't set in stone like definitely the one or the other, but more likely than not, we'll notice that a person who isn't really interested in what comes after, isn't really interested in Judgment Day, they'll even veer away from it, is because, quite frankly, they're more focused on their lives now because this is what they have. Okay. But, yes. Right, now this is now, okay... Every person, if you have a notebook, write it down, or if not, I want you to see what scriptures you currently have in your memory, in your mind, uh, pertaining to the book of life, mm. um, how the names in the book of life get to be there, we're going to talk about that quickly. Any scripture doesn't have to contain the word, book of life. Any scripture that is, has something to do with how we end up in the book of life. Mm. That determines which group you're in. Let's see what you come up with. Any scripture pertaining to that. Scri write down what you know, and if you have nothing, just write there, I don't know. You see, part of what we're always doing is to Id identify what we don't know. Because we don't know what we don't know. Um, don't look in the Bible. Write from memory what you think it says. So even if you, you don't have to get the scripture. This is what I think it's script. Says something yeah. like this. Yeah. <clears throat> don't write. There's a scripture that says there's a book of life, because we already told you. <laughs> now, I bet you, I'll bet you, and we, I wish we could do these experiments, but they never want to allow us. If we had to go into any church of 500 people sitting there, and we did this there, I bet you less than 10% of them would have more than one reference to this actual very important topic. And the fact is that most people that's been in church for years, this is not something that would have been featured as something important. Am I right? Not important. How many sermons have you heard on the Book of Life? Okay, the people in this Fellowship, how often have you heard about the Book of Life? Yeah, it's getting boring, isn't it? They're always on about it. Okay, this is how we've got to identify how our attention has been very subtly uh, diverted from the actual important things. Most sermons that you will hear preached is the 
is normally focused on the pieces of Scripture in between the important pieces of Scripture. And if we have to go through sermons, I'll show you how that works. Eternal truths, the mystery truths, because people cannot, you cannot discover a mystery. People have to preach about the things around the mystery, not the actual mystery. If you cannot find out a mystery, God has to reveal the mystery to you. You can do all the Greek word studies, and do all those things, but the actual mystery will remain hidden. <clears throat> Satan very simply um, he found a very simple strategy to hide the truth from people. Most people would not easily understand that what happened in the beginning is as to be important for our faith. And what happens actually happens at the end has to be important for our faith. So all he did was he gave them this center point, this focal point, and said, well, you just have to believe in Jesus Christ and go to the cross so that he forgives your sins and then you have to stop with all the wrong things that you know about and go to church. Really, that's it. Just try and go to church. What happens at church is not all that important. Just go. And then we wait in a state of trying not to be too sinful till we die because they're going to keep telling you you're going to be fine you, you mm. believe in Jesus right your sins are forgiven you're going to heaven don't worry about it mm. so that makes the Bible the, the entire Bible now becomes something I read it for me so I can feel encouraged the Lord can say something to me when He wants to. And that's what happened to the Bible. Right, let's see what you have. Um, Marizan, what did you say? In English. Yes, so I, it kind of links to the one that says those who are not, um, I think it's in Romans, where it says those who are not Messiah. Whose names are not written in the book of life are not Messiah. Um, and then I couldn't remember the one obviously in Revelation, which is more <laughs> important. <laughs> okay, okay. But you have a concept of it. Mm. I'm going to actually quickly skip to you because you haven't been around us and you w would be a very good, um, what do I call in experiments? Uh, uh, Guinea pig. No, no. <laughs> uh, control. You would be a controlled yeah. uh, test. What do you know about the book of life? I've known about it, but there's never actually been scripture about Connected. it. So I've known. In the times I've been going to church, yeah, never. Never. Never featured. See, it's nice to have a control subject where you can go like, okay. Um, Jason, for you? Like, I don't know. You know? Ah. I don't know what's in those books. It's like, oh, I really 
when I focus, I do focus on now. So then hopefully, even what I don't know, I will, hopefully it's going to come out right. <laughs> we'll, we'll help with that. We'll help with that. We'll help with that. Martin, I'm going to put you on the spot because um, it's easier with, with, with people that hasn't been around us forever. Concept? No, very little. It's mostly treated as science fiction, I think. Thank you. Thank you for that. You see what we mean about the end is kind of fuzzy and hazy and blurry because Satan has convinced us on earth while we're here that the things of the end, yeah, we can't really know. Hmm. And if, how will we ever know if we know for sure, if we think we know something, so just don't worry about it because hmm. you'll never know. Right? Yet it's in the Bible. It must be important. God decided to put it in there. Thank you for that. That is, it's kind of science fiction. <laughs> just like heaven. It's like God, actually. <laughs> Let's be honest. God is kind of science fiction. So what will happen to most believers is when they start out trying to answer that call from God, we, we, we sense that He's working with us, calling us, drawing us near. Now, in order to solve the problem, we're going to create an image. Something that we can identify with, that we can understand, because this is too much. This we can understand. He came as a man. So, in the law, the first thing God tells the Israelites, do not make an image of me. Most Christians don't even realize, because it's a natural thing to do, that we start off and we try and make an image of him. So, luckily, they'll present you with the daddy image. Okay, great. Because Satan knows that most of our daddy image is horrible. So, we're going to try and fill in our image. We're going to fix our image of God by, by the best possible daddy image that we can fabricate. Okay? And he loves me and he wants to look after me and he wants to bless me and I'm always welcome and I can do whatever I want and I can speak to him whenever I want in any way that I want. And, this, you know, and slowly but surely, now they're going to help us further along to feel comfortable with God. They're going to say, don't worry about the law, it's been cancelled. Okay? And that makes it even better. Now I have this daddy image, he's always available, always listening to me. I can speak to him in any way I, I want. I can do whatever I want. I can serve him in any way I want as long as I don't do what is bad and I only do what is good. That's going to remain undefined. Mm. And even if I do do what's bad, it's okay. Cause... And so now, even the, 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 the focal point that for a moment became sharply into focus will slowly but surely blur again. And I'm back, to, back in my blurred concept of everything. And we love the blurred concept of everything because then we're not accountable. Or responsible. It's those moments when something comes into focus that it impacts Christians and then they want to repent of stuff. So there's the moments of clear vision every now and then. But luckily that doesn't last long. Because it bothers us when we can see. Okay, so.
Can I read us? I want to find out oh, okay. what, what, who all said something. Zavia, Book of Life. So, so thank you for everybody for proving that we need to do this. Even if it felt to me like we've done this before, I still feel we need to. So this is what we're going to do through this series, is bring specific things very sharply into focus. We've got the broader landscape in place. Okay, but if we want to remember that in, in the moment that you're going to witness to a person out there, you are speaking into the very prison in which Satan has imprisoned humanity. And obviously we have to be very accurate. Okay? That makes sense. We're depending on the Holy Spirit to take that bit of truth that we did bring and make that enough to make them want to know and come to life. Okay, now, can you see why Christianity came up with the witnessing strategy of Jesus loves you? It's much easier. There's something easy to focus on. It's right here. Okay, so, anybody that feels they've got a good concept of the book of life? Want to try? I didn't yeah? say that I have a good concept, but I know that Moses said to the Lord when he, um, he said to them, take, their, take my name out of the book of life and try to intercede for them. Mm. So he's basically saying they were there, but, you know, seek help. Mm. It's intercession Okay, let's look at that. Thank you. So we find the concept all through from the beginning. Okay. Do you want to... Well, can you come closer? Maybe. <laughs> Ooh, coffee, coffee. It survived. <gasps> okay. Let's go for it. Okay. <clears throat> the scripture, 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Maybe jot down the scripture references because I'm going to try and read through them fast so we can save time. If you manage to page with me, then good for you. Okay. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, I'm just going to pick it up at the sentence before, to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah Yahushua before time began. So you'll notice some of these scriptures don't actually have a direct reference to the book of life. But we're going to see it comes down to the same truth. Okay. Read it again for us. Okay. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah Yahushua before time began. Okay. Now we're not going to think about what you, because all of you would have probably read this before. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And yet, if you think about what happened in your brain when we first read the scripture, 
quickly check with yourself and acknowledge the fact that your brain couldn't grasp it. Mm. Who has read the scripture before? <laughs> so we would think that the moment we read this now, that your brain would easily just understand what is being said. Yet go back to the moment we read it first. Mm. Realize what happened to your mind. Everything was fuzzy. When it comes to the gospel, we have to acknowledge that the gospel is the mystery revealed. Mm-hmm. Now, most people that's been around church would not think to use that verse to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. That is the gospel. That's one of the purest forms of the gospel in the Bible. Read it again, please. God, who has saved us, and Yahweh, Yahweh, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling. All past tense. Who has saved us and then called us? What? Shouldn't he have said called us and then saved us? Okay. Not according to our works, which connects well with Judgment Day. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah Yahushua before time began. Okay, without considering anything else, if this was the one verse that reached the person regarding the gospel, the purposes of God, what God wanted to do, what he did, how salvation pertains to you. If this was the only information, what are we looking at? Let's just look at just this. What are we looking at? What is it saying? It says that He gave you something in Messiah. When? Before time began. This does not agree or correlate with anything that I understood regarding the gospel before. No part of it. And that's where we want to go with witnessing. We want to just help a person come to a place where they look at the scriptures and they have to. You want to help them gain the courage, not force them, gain the courage to look at the scripture and go, is this what it's really saying? Without a but, just yes or no, is, is this what it's saying? It says that Yahweh gave us something in Messiah. Fair enough. When? Now what? See, now we literally in that one move, we've come to the entire reality of what the Bible really says from the beginning to the end. The entire plan of God. And this reveals the, the, the greatest of all conspiracies. With the false gospel, everything that the Bible really says has been removed, hidden, and became lost to humanity. How could this be possible? And now, 
when you speak especially to Christians and you try and present to them what the Bible really says, they're offended. They become angry. And they try and defend what they know. And from the few people that are here, I just showed you that no, most people don't even know anything about the Book of Life. Right, let's go on. Okay, so the Revelation Scriptures... Um, <clears throat> there are a few, but I've narrowed them down to three really important ones. So obviously the, f the one would be in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15, which is the great white throne judgment. So we're not going to read that now, but it's Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to verse 15. Then we have Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. And it's in context to the beast, but it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, being the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So now we have the book of life in connection with the Lamb, but the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So now there's purpose. Wait, this is not fair. God is not playing fair. And the Bible must be wrong. Because? Because now they're trying to move my one focal point <laughs> that I did have. So you see, I read something like that. I'm just going to fix it in my mind. You're the foundation of my world. That's what happens with us. We've got to understand what happens in the, in, in the minds of man. I read something like that, and because this is my focal point, and this happened 2,000 years ago, and that makes my world make sense. When I read a scripture like that, I'm not even going to decide to change it. I'm just going to change it. Because I'm pretty sure God meant to say what I think it should be saying John just John just didn't get it as clear yeah that's why I get hold of a message this makes a lot more sense to me it says exactly what I think it should say okay so now now okay what what does that say firstly when it comes to the book of life it says that People living on earth in the days of the beast will not worship the beast because they're evil. They will not worship the beast because they are pagan or because they are atheists. Or heathen. Or heathen. They will worship the beast because their names are not written in the book of life. That's exactly what it says. It says that specifically. So... According to the scripture, is there any way that a good person, a very good person, whose name is not written in the book of life, will resist worshipping the beast because they're a good person? Is there any chance that the Bible just define what will happen? Yes. 
Okay, that's, that's right. That's what we're looking at. Okay, let's just acknowledge, first of all, for yourself. Remember, we want to make, for you, we're busy with your equipping. Are you willing to establish in your mindset as an absolute fact that the person whose name is not written in the book of life will, when the time comes, worship the beast? So now, look at what the Book of Life has become now. Something in pre-existence that's going to determine everything. Did you hear what I'm saying? There's something in pre-existence, if we believe the Word, that determines... Who's going to worship the lamb and who, uh, the beast and who not? Okay, now, what do you have to do to get your name written in the book of life? That's the next question. See the gospel, the world will find, they will kill you for this. Okay, so, next one. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. I'm going to read from the middle. There's two sentences. I'm going to start with the second sentence. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So now we see the lamb died. What's the exact word from? The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Why the word from? The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, foundation of the world there. Okay. Now, that means, that explains why Abel can respond to the cross. Abel, one of four people on earth, the second generation of humanity, is responding to the cross as his hope. Okay. Now, read that again, please. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Is anybody's brain going, but there must be another explanation? If, just be honest if that's happening. Okay, fair enough, because that's what my brain did the first few times I looked at it. It was like, but there's got to be another explanation. That's what happened to me. I was like, no way, this can't be. Okay, carry on. Back to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 19. 
Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Breathe in and out deeply. You want to be wide awake for this one. Read it again. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Notice the foundation in there again as well. When it speaks and refers to the foundation of the world, what is the foundation of the world? He says, that is the solid foundation of God that stands. What is the foundation upon which He created? So he's going to commence creation. He's going to base it on one solid foundation, one thing on which everything will rest, that he's going to do over time until the creation ends. Everything that he's going to do, everything that will be, everything that will unfold and everything that will exist, will rest upon something. It's called the foundation. This solid foundation... What does that scripture say? It is. God knows who is His. Listen, we're looking at the most beautiful mystery of mysteries. God would base everything that He's going to do in relation to creation on one thing. He knows who is His. Whenever you read Foundation of the Earth or Foundation of Creation, that's the foundation, one solid foundation and it's sealed. Why sealed? You know, throughout history when a king of great influence and authority made a decree and he put his seal on it, means that he could send that decree via messenger all over the kingdom. And because it had the seal, nobody would dare ignore it or not obey that decree. Yeah, we're looking at one of the most important things contained in the Bible. Put up your hand if you ever heard this message anywhere besides in this ministry. Remember when we said humanity's mind works like this. We look at something and then we will change it to fit our perspective and understanding. 
That is why it's not hidden in the Bible. It's been there all the time. It's part of the understanding and knowledge of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. But the way that it's been presented and the way that it has been understood was changed very early on to a thing, well, when you believe. So there's various variations on the story when it comes to the Book of Life. See, we're going to explain that now. Just go to the actual opening of the Book of Life, that, end of that. Just we'll go to the rest of the Scriptures now. Go to that one. Listen to our... This is where most, most Christianity would focus on this Scripture when looking at the Book of Life. This is the one reference to the book of life that most people would be aware of. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, I'm going to read from verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment. Yeah. And remember when we, we did that whole series on how will we be judged, we looked at this. Judgment literally revolves around if your name is written in the book of life or the book of the Lamb, then the rest of the story has nothing to do with you. you, you, you you're excused, go back to your rooms. <laughs> If we didn't read your name, please stay behind. <laughs> That's literally <coughs> Judgment Day. No matter how you want to debate it, that's what that says. Then, those whose names are not written in the Book of Life, they stand there. See, all the dead are appearing at the White Throne Judgment. The sea gives up those that rested in it, and Hades, those who rested in it. Remember, we are baptized into Messiah. We sleep in Messiah when we die. Those who have to stand in the judgment are those who slept elsewhere, wherever that might have been. But now they are called from every corner of where they could have slept and they appear there and then the books are opened. That's each person their own book. And you're standing there and you're thinking, man, I hope they wrote down all the good things I did. This is the, see why we would like, we're going to talk about the strategy of taking any person that are going to, uh, if the Lord opens the door, we want to quickly, swiftly move to the end and get to the book of life. 
Because the thing is, there's millions of people walking around thinking they believe in God. And they actually have found quite, um, they found comfort in the fact that, well, I believe, I pray. A lot of people say, but I prayed to him. But I prayed to him. And just about everybody puts confidence in some way in John 3. John chapter 3. We're going to have a look at John chapter 3 quickly. What it really says. What it really says. So now, we heard that in these scriptures that God didn't write our name in the book of life according to what we did. Says it clearly. Let's see what John chapter 3 really says. Let's start. We're gonna, we'll, we'll take time. We don't have to race, race anywhere. Um, that's why we actually prepared in a way where we just have to cover the basic, get the mindsets right. Chapter 3, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Yahushua by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Yahushua answered him and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the Pharisee starts a conversation at a certain point. Yahushua is not meeting him where he wanted to go with this conversation, is he? He's cutting to the point. Okay. A strategy that I think we should adopt. Because remember, most people have a very little capacity for anything, let alone paying attention. Okay. So he cuts to the point. He goes, I'm going to just tell you the truth. Unless this one is born, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This guy is one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Where is he going? This guy wanted to talk to him about him. He's going like, I want to talk to you about Yahushua, let's talk about you. And he goes, I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom. <laughs> Another lesson we want to learn. People will come to you and you would feel great that they're going, I can see you someone of faith and I know you're going to church and person want to talk to you, you cut to kingdom. Don't talk about you. It's not about your story. Your story is not going to impress them. Kingdom. Okay? When we talk about witness, not about you. Even he, he could have gone, well, let me quickly show you. I can shine with a light. <laughs> You're lucky you caught me at night. 
sunglasses. You see, there's a whole lot of things Yahushua could have done at that moment to convince this Pharisee. He you could have like said, some wine, Nicodemus? Do, do, you, do you have a piece of bread? Let me show you what I can do with bread. <laughs> What's he doing? He's going, let's talk about the kingdom. So then he asks the question and Yahushua says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Okay. Is he saying that which is, will be born of the Spirit will be Spirit? What's the tense we're looking at? See, the tense is, is where the mysteries are hidden. Always remember this. And this is why we read the New King James Version. Because later on, clever people thought, well, the tense doesn't make sense, so we're just going to change it and fix it. Satan helped them. So, then he says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it, is, where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's basically saying, the person that is born of the Spirit, nobody can clearly understand where he came from. The moment you're born again, whatever you were in the flesh before, that's gone. And what are you now? Where did you come from? And who are you? That's basically what he's saying. Now that links us to the foundation of the earth. Now it gets. Now this is where I really need you to to focus. Um, Nicodemus answered and said to him, "How can these things be?" Yahushua answered and said to him, "Are you the?" teacher of Israel and do not know these things, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not perceive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Normally, people who read this, their brains would go change it so I can understand and fit it back into my picture of things. What he just said. Now we've got to understand that at this point, Yahushua has not yet ascended into heaven. At this point, he's been born as a baby, grown up, and he's standing on earth as a man. Now, he's telling this poor guy in the middle of the night. No one has ascended into heaven except the one. Do you see what he's doing? And then he tells him, and I am in heaven. Who is in heaven. He's saying, to, I'm there right now. I have descended and I have ascended. Is he trying to get this guy to understand? 
You see, surely he could have been more relevant, more seeker sensitive. Surely if he wanted to get the guy to believe, he could have, you could, yeah. he should have taken small steps and... Just answer the question first. What is, so, so let's look at his witness. We have a shining example of what Yahushua did when he wanted to witness mm -hmm. to someone. He's referring to outside of time. He just took him out of time. Because, see, if God wants to do a miracle according to a person's name written in the book of life, then He's going to shake that person awake and somewhere the person will be able to hear something that's impossible to understand. What happened to us? Why the heck are we here? It wasn't according to our understanding, was it? Okay, now, as far as witnessing is concerned, listen to this. Then he says, um, And as Moses lifted up the serpent, uh, remember that word serpent is shining creatures, something that shines like bronze. Okay, so that's actually what happened. They didn't uh, lift up a snake in the wilderness. Okay. Um, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, what tense is it? Should not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever believes in Him. Reminder. He's just been baptized. He's just started his three-year ministry. He's not been crucified. He's not been resurrected. And yet he's going. Those who believe in Him. Okay, so he has not yet paid the price. He has not yet forgiven sin. He has not yet fulfilled the requirements of the law. He has not yet done that. Yet he says, um, for God, uh, no. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, look at the tense, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes, not he who will believe, he who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unfair! His political correctness is a disaster. Your Honor, I object. <laughs> not fair. He says, whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already. Okay? You haven't yet started. You haven't given us anything to believe in yet. How can you say anybody that doesn't believe in Him is condemned already? No, no, you've still got to prove it. You've still got to die and be resurrected. What are we looking at? See why this is the mystery of the mystery gospel. Okay, anybody not challenged by this? 
greatest challenge. Okay, we have to recognize this is, remember, we're talking about what is going to happen in the other person. Okay, his brain doesn't want to do all this hard work. So you can tell him these things. His brain, without him, he's not even going to realize. He's going to try and translate it back into whatever he thought he understood before. Do you know that this piece of scripture is one of the most read pieces of scripture in the entire Bible? It's, it's a matter not of fact, the most read. It's probably one of the most preached scriptures in the entire Bible. And I will bet you, if we had to go on YouTube and gather 20 of the most well-known sermons on this piece of scripture, I can bet you all 20 of them got it wrong. Why? Because they would have translated it. They'll never they do it in context. Miss the, they miss the fact that it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Their mind is going, well, He gave Him to be crucified. Yeah. But I mean, this is like years before He's crucified. So, so, so this is what we're looking at. We see here that in the tenses, He's making it clear that those who believe will be saved and those who don't believe will be not be saved. Remember, that it said that the Father wrote the names in the Book of Life and the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth and that the foundation, sure foundation, is that uh, God knows those who are His. Now, you see how we cannot witness effectively. We don't have these basic truths established as foundational in our own mindsets. Now, obviously, in speaking to someone the first time, there's no way you can just go blurt all this out to them. They will have a mental shutdown. They will reboot. Okay, that's what will happen. And they will walk away and they will forget that they had a strange conversation with you. They will remember that you are strange. Yes. <laughs> That's what will happen. Have you noticed how you, you can have, when it comes to mis mystery discussion, when you try and reveal certain mysteries, people literally glaze over mm. And then something mysterious happens in their brains. We call it the glitch. The reset. The reset. Dink, I want to go back to what I know. That's it. Okay, so he came to set the captives free. The thing that happens is captivity. Where's the captivity? It's captivity of what you know. And it's captivity of what people think they are and who they are. Right around the globe right now, we're seeing people fighting about color and race, etc., etc. Why? Because it's who they think they are. We all come from nowhere. And before that, we all come from God. 
But there's the aspect of life itself. Now keep all of this in mind. Okay, now, yes. I just want to bring it back to, to this. So, I'm sure it's become clear in reading the scriptures that the reason we, we would focus on the end and this particular aspect of the end, the book of life aspect, is because in doing that, we connect the beginning and the end. So it's not just that we give purpose to the beginning, but the two become one, as they should be. And if you do that, now you move outside of time. So if you take a person to the truth of the book of life, and just simply go, well, there are two groups, book of life, and those whose name is aren't written in the book of life, then this would even trump their fixation on the cross. This goes beyond that. Because now you've gone to a point that they might try and debate, but it's beyond any doctrine. It's beyond religious understanding or knowledge or that has been established. Because if they debate, if the mo that you've put them in a checkmate position, the moment they try and debate the book of life aspect, then that could look like they're scared that they're not in the book of life. But we can pause there. Because that's probably going to be the very basic response from people. Yes. See, if you tell me there exists a book, the book of the Lamb, read the scripture God called us in Him. Um, the Romans. Mm. Okay. Mm. We'll talk about that now. Oh, okay, wait, I think you mean the Ephesians one. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love read it again just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love Right, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? So if he chose us in him before the foundation, it would make sense how then the foundation on which he would create became that he knows who is his. Because he called us in him before the foundation. Okay, now, anybody encountering this truth will have a natural response of, wait a second. Who says my name is written in the book of life? Mm -hmm. See, because then even the... Well, what I know is that he came and died on the cross so that my sins can be forgiven. That does nothing to the truth of the book of life. doesn't change that in any way. So that's a big... Question. You see, Christianity came up with a much better deal. God loves everybody, wants to save everybody, and um, you just have to give him a chance. So they came up with a nice minimal commitment thing.
now, the question remains. How do would people know if their names were written? I mean, you could do all this work, go to church every Sunday, wake up early on a winter's morning, give up surfing in the summer, on a good sunny summer's morning, do all that, and then find out my name wasn't written in the Book of Life. It was all a waste of time. So I might, just not, I might as well not try. Might as well not try. Because it's unfair anyways. See? Problem. Now, here's the answer. If you're speaking to somebody whose name is written in the Book of Life, their base response wouldn't be, I want to believe in God because I don't want to go to hell. That would be ultimately not enough motivation. The thing that would happen in people whose names are written in the Book of Life is that they want God. They want Him. And they would give up their comfortable doctrines, their own ideas, they would give up their culture, they would give up what their mother and their grandmother taught them, because they would understand that the more they have truth, the better they get to know Him, because He is truth. Okay, now, before we close, finish. Read Romans 8, and then we're briefly going to talk about life. Is everything making sense so far? Now, ask yourself this question. Why is this making sense to you? Because you're being taught by you. <laughs> Thank you, Johannes. Back to disciple of the week. Do you understand that? Do you understand everything that we've said is heresy? And yet, yes. Wouldn't being baptized, not that it does anything, but it helps see through, for instance, before you'd look at the cross, but then it's like with baptism, you're going through, and there's a lot more you understand and see that would never have made sense before. before. Mm. You see, the baptism now, we are actually heading there because um, there's no way baptism can make sense unless you start bending the person's uh, linear timeline. With a linear timeline, baptism cannot make sense because remember, the person has a beginning. I was born somewhere. Before that, there was history and um, I'm moving through my life and then I'm going to die and I want to go to heaven. That's what the person understands. Now you're telling him at the age of 30, now you can enter into eternal life through baptism. And you, the truth of baptism, that's why the truth of baptism is literally going to divide between those who will believe the unbelievable or those who will choose to make a story, to choose a story that makes more sense to their understanding. 
Because we're saying that the Holy Spirit is going to pour, be poured out in you and you baptized into Messiah. All of those concepts mean that you have to give up your linear, linear timeline. It cannot make sense without outside time. That's why we have to bend the linear timeline into position where the beginning and the end becomes the beginning and the end, not a beginning and a possible end, but the beginning and the end, so that they can start accessing the place where they can be baptized. Because baptism is an event. You go under the water for a few seconds, a miracle outside of time happens, and you are brought literally from that second into your eternal positioning in the Messiah in heavenly places. Outside of time. Outside of time. And He confirms the fact that you are now in heaven, in existence, by putting His Spirit in you in this world. And because time and space does not feature as importantly to Him as it does to us, this is fine from his perspective. You cannot explain this baptism to a person that wants to keep the linear timeline. A person that wants to keep this timeline cannot have the true baptism. They have to have a symbolic baptism. See how it works. And then they have... See, the same thing they did with the Book of Life. For the Book of Life to make any sense, there's a whole department in heaven it's called the... Um, Administration office. Office. <laughs> now you see, as an angel, only the best, yes. most experienced ones can work in this department, because their job is to make calculations to figure out whose name should be kept in the Book of Life and whose name should be scratched. And their observant skills must, must be, be amazing. Because they need to check everything that we do every day to determine. And the scales that they must have to determine where we are and what you've done, does this qualify? And you see, then, then the problem is, then somebody that was really bad, <laughs> whose name was already taken out of the book, you know, they can do something to fix it later on, and now it's going to be put back into the book. Exactly. That's exactly it. Or, the way that the, the early Jews understood it was simply, everybody's names are written in the book of life. Yeah. Okay? And if you did not do certain things right, or did not come to a certain place, then your name is simply taken out of the book. It's easier, admin. Yes, it's like a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see who's left over at the end of the game. Okay, now, I've got news for you. None of us are going to make it at the rate we're going. Okay? That's just it. So... So see how even people that made sense of the book of life it doesn't make sense. But the Pope is absolutely convinced that he's worthy of being in there. See how self-righteousness becomes the blanket that covers the truth for those that become self-righteous. 
Okay, now let's not get stuck there. Where were we? You wanted to go to life. Our life is hidden. First, Romans 8. Okay, in context of everything we've said. Now, this is information that you've had before. Now, I want you to just in your, in your mind, in your thinking, this is a new process. Now, before this, we ministered this, this to you to change your perspective, to open up the Scriptures. Then we ministered it so that you could know how to walk in it yourself. Now, new process. Now we've got to teach our brains to uh, take this information as truth and put it in place so that when we need to speak to someone, we factor all of this in. You're not going to say all of this. You need to factor it in. That's the trick and uh, that's the equipping that we need for witnessing. You need to factor this in. You've got to understand what the other person's brain is doing. What he's thinking, what he's hearing, what he's understanding. What are you going to link it to? Okay. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. See how it just agrees with the other scriptures we read. Okay. So first he saves people, then he calls them. Okay. See? Okay. So we are like people that had amnesia. And he, we are starting to remember. Now the big question still remains, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Okay, let's go to the life. Our lives are hidden. Colossians. Chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1, but that's just to give context to verses 3 and 4. If then you were raised with Messiah, seek those things which are above, where Messiah is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's the duality that we are learning to live in. We all know the early days of this walk presented us with some confusing realities. Many of us didn't want to continue going back to work. We just wanted to stay in our room and read the Bible. Because it felt like the two worlds were clashing with each other. We all went through that. Because now I see our life is hidden in Him and He's trying to teach us by His Spirit to have a certain perspective on things. Live from there. Because now we're seated with Him. Okay, We've been baptized into Him. And yet he, well, He's going to let us stay here 
And we have to carry on with everyday things. And there's this struggle that ensues. How do we deal with both realities? Now we are always telling everybody we've got to make peace with that duality. And then we've got to learn to live it out, walk it out. Um, Gerard over there, he sent me a message yesterday. Thank you, Gerard, for the message. And he's been um, sitting with the Holy Spirit lead, uh, dealing with... Where's my phone? He's been dealing with this same thing. And he formulated something and sent it to me. And I thought, wow, I asked him if I could share it because I thought it was absolutely in line with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Let me just get his message. He said this. I'm just going to read it as he read it. He says, vision. So he's formulating what vision would be. Difference between attention and focus. My attention is on the things which I am busy with, be it work, studies, or reading the Bible, etc. My focus determines my vision. Thus, no matter what I am busy with, my focus, and therefore my vision, should be on Him. The kingdom, His will, etc., reflecting the duality of my existence in the temporary realm and the flesh. In practice, this means that my attention can be on the things which I must do while my focus or vision remains on Yahweh. Take note, if your attention is on the things of the flesh in disobedience, your focus cannot and will not remain on Him and will shift to the self. Very well formulated and said. And this is this scripture. And we've been, last week we've been meditating and praying about this scripture and formulating around this scripture. Read the scripture again. <clears throat> if then you were raised with Messiah, seek those things which are above, where Messiah is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died... And your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now see, if baptism was a symbolic thing, how would he write, you have died? How do you die and yet live? And see why Satan could steal the true baptism from humanity. Because he's stolen the whole storyline, basically, and changed it. So if the foundation of the earth is that God knows who is his, then you have put a thing in place that according to those that he has saved, he will call them. Those that he foreknew, he calls. Now we, what we do is, we are helped by God himself to answer that call. Okay. Now, this brings us to the big, big question. Does that mean that the gospel is not available to everyone? Does it mean that salvation is not available to everyone? The same good news is available to everybody to hear. When Messiah died on the cross, he paid the price for all sin. 
but to have access to that forgiveness, you have to be in Messiah. Anybody found outside of Messiah has their own book that will be opened at the end of time. This brings us to the reality of what life actually is, life and death. Can you explain that for us? Okay, so um, we know that God is life. And if we are baptized into him, then we are granted eternal life. And so we understand that there's this concept of immortality, of continuing forever and not dying. <clears throat> and so the, the idea of eternal life would be immortality, really. So unable to die. But then the concept of life becomes very interesting when we think about Satan and the rest of the fallen angels and even demons. Because they too cannot die. Okay, our understanding of immortality. Of, yeah. Satan has been around for the last, from the beginning of the earth, at least, on earth. And then before that. Looks like immortality to me. Right? According to the concept that we have of someone breathing and living and not like laying down their head and not waking up. <coughs> right? So then, if that's true, then obviously life is not just being able to breathe and think and have a heart beat. <clears throat> In so 2 Thessalonians, yeah, it says when, when the Lord comes back, it says in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of, the, of our Lord, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And then we know that Yahushua says, he prays in John chapter 17, and this is quite defining. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yahushua HaMashiach, whom you have sent. So we know that at the end of time, when judgment takes place and there's the book of life, then they will enter into eternal life. The rest will be thrown into the lake of fire, and that is the second death. But they don't die according to our understanding of sleeping permanently. Right? So they're thrown into the lake of fire, but they're still alive according to the earthly understanding of life and death. Okay. But so now we end up with a concept of it's not just existing. So alive is not the same as existing. Because Yahushua himself says very clearly that eternal life is knowing the Father, the only true God, and Yahushua HaMashiach, whom he has sent. Right. Now, if we take this back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve, <clears throat> then this even puts a very interesting concept on when God says to them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know that the salvation plan has a very great um, influence there because God doesn't 
kill them, even in our understanding of life and death, in terms of laying down on one's head. But we do know that there is a separation from the oneness with God, and they are sent out of the garden. And we know that the knowledge of God is then lost over time, increasingly faster, ever faster. But also another very interesting thing that happens is that when they do eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the reason God puts them out of the garden is because he says they've now eaten from this tree. We need to put them out of the garden in case they keep eating from the tree of life and then live forever. So this even brings a whole new concept to what the tree of life is. I don't know if I'm making sense. This is kind of, this is a lot of information. But so life becomes something very different from just existing. If life is knowing him, the only true God, and knowing his son whom he has sent. And we now take this to the very beginning where the moment they ate from the other tree, no, they didn't die and lay down their heads, but there was a separation. Mm. Knowledge of God was lost. The oneness of, with God was lost. And they were not allowed to further eat from the tree of life. Now even the tree of life isn't just something that gives enough energy and substance and health and youth and vitality to continue existing. What does this make, the tree of life, then? So... We're literally talking about life as partaking in God. He does not save us and give us eternal life. Another fallacy of religion. We th the idea is that he gives you something, not yours. No. He brings you into himself. He says, if you are raised. In, uh, in two 2 Timothy, 1 or 2 Timothy, it says, he, it's 1 Timothy. He says, which he will manifest in his own time. He is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. And there are many other scriptures that I can send to you that talks about life is in him. There is no life outside of him. The Father has given him eternal life. Okay, so I know, I know, just, you're going to have to go meditate on this truth. Because it is applicable right now, right here, where we are at. Life, the concept of it, we need to discard. We have spoken about this before. A bird is animated. That animation comes by his will. Life, what the word life represents when in relation to God, that is God himself. So the eternal life that he gives you isn't something. It's that oneness between him and you. The infusion. Does it make sense? The infusion is life. Which means that there can be no part or particle of you separated self from him and remain vital and healthy. Mm. 
because he's life. He is life. So the book of life, in the beginning, this is what becomes fascinating. He, and this is why we need to slowly move a person to outside of time. So, Yahushua, remember he says to um, the Pharisee that he is the one that ascended and descended that is also with God. He says he's the Son of Man. Now that risen Son of Man is life. And he has life in him. And he has the power to give life to as many as the Father has given him. Now take that truth and just move it to before the foundation of the world. Now the foundation of the world becomes he knows who is his. Because see, life is going to be given by him and flow forth from him through creation. But he is now going to give life to those that are in him. We are raised with Messiah and seated in heavenly places. And then in Ephesians we see that we were raised together with him. Now this is why outside of time is so important. Because see what happens is he creates out of that which he has given life to. That's why you can respond to the call. Yeah, to some degree, yes. Now we want to focus on that. It is a mystery. You cannot grasp it in a moment. But you need to sit and allow the Holy Spirit to expand this understanding inside of us. What is life? What is that thing that we have to seek for to enter into on a daily basis? Because let's face it, you'll wake up tomorrow morning and your bodily functions will kick in. It's not the same. You know the difference. Something in you can just go through the day, make it through the day and go back to sleep tonight. That's animation. But we all know that something that we can access that makes the animated person alive during the day. Even during the night. What is that thing? What's that factor? His life. It's the unity of intimacy in thought, in emotion, in being with Him that causes a real life to flow through us. What happens? What is that process? We've all had the experience. What's that process when you actually enter into life? What was that process? Some people call it the highest state of being. It's normally when we move away from the base things of us. Now, we don't want to get esoteric or anything mm. like that, but this is the, this is the reality. Mm. He is life. He is life. Okay. So, your name being written in the book of life. If a spiritual Yahushua had a genetic code, 
That would be one way, and I'm not saying that is it, one way to understand the Book of Life. It's where we come from, it's who we are, it's who we will eternally be. Eternal life is His life flowing through you, His blood, His being, you being one with Him. There's also about where vitality and health lies for us while we're still in this duality. Okay. See why it's very important that we first adjust our concepts, our perspective, and our positioning before we can start to minister or to witness in any way to others. Make sense? Okay. That's enough for now. Mm -hmm.